0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, August 22nd episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platform. Since December of 2018, we have featured over 125 poets in 14 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do so with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Carmina Herana, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Dizzy, and my poem, Erasure. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of August 23rd. On Monday, August 23rd, from 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Play Clean open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their Loop writing workshop. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Tuesday, August 24th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their First Draft Open Mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash First Draft. Again, that's at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash First Draft. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, the Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their weekly Hard time Denver writing workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From six p.m. Central Daylight Time, Poetry in the Brew will be hosting their Sinew Anthology Launch Party featuring, among other poets, our past poet guest, Jeff Cottrell. You can find out more information at poetryinthebrew.wordpress.com. Again, that's at poetryinthebrew.wordpress.com. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Play Dirty Open Mic via Instagram Live, again, at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's on Instagram at poets underscore playground underscore. On Wednesday, August 25th from 12 to 1 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, the Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their free daily Zoom, Writing to Heal. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Arvada Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Do More Baltimore will be hosting their World Tour Poetry Club. You can find out more information at domorebaltimore.org forward slash workshops events. Again, that's at DoMoreBaltimore.org forward slash workshops, events. From 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their Voices of Color with Chris Wilson. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their Poetry Workshop with Louis at Resto. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore dot h-t-m-l. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore dot h-t-m-l. On Thursday, August 26th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, the Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Edgewater Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Writers Center will be hosting their virtual craft chat with poet Kavet Akbar. You can find out more information at writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. Again, that's at writer.org, forward slash reading hyphen events. From 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Prince Orchard Library will be hosting their poetry evenings. You can find out more information at mcpl.libnet.info, forward slash events. Again, that's at mcpl.libnet.info info forward slash events from 8 to 9 p.m eastern daylight time nuigen tv will be hosting their nuigen and scott talon with seizure grits which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old this is via instagram live and you can find out more information and rsvp at nuigen tv on instagram again that's at nuigen tv that's N W E J I N A N T V again that's at N W E J I N A N T V from 8 to 10 p.m. central daylight time the South Dakota State Poetry Society will be hosting their electric poetry garden you can find out more information at artssouthdakota.org/event again that's at arts south Dakota.org forward slash event from 7 p.m pacific daylight time the los angeles Poets society will be hosting their one mic one globe open mic with alex petunia you can find out more information at los angeles poet society on instagram again that's at los angeles poet society on instagram on friday august 27th from 11 a.m to 12:30 p.m british time Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information by messaging the host Andrina Leanne via Instagram at survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A N D R E E N A. Leanne is spelled L E E A N N E. From 6 p.m. British time, The Wifflin Theater will be hosting their Scratch Night open mic. You can find out more information at Wifflin underscore theater on Instagram. That's W-I-L-F-L-E-N underscore theater with R-E instead of E-R. Again, that's W-I-L-F-L-E-N underscore T-H-E-A-T-R-E on Instagram. From 7 p.m. West Africa time, Graciano and Warram and Nopal Flower will be hosting their Corona Versions open mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warram. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 6:30 to 9 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Shades of Honey will be hosting They Rage Poetic Showcase, emceed by Bianca Milken. You can find out more information at I Am Karia on Instagram. Again, that's at I Am Karia on Instagram. That's I A M K A R I A on Instagram. On Saturday, August 28th, from 8 to 9:30 p.m. India Standard Time, our past poet guest Umesh Mohikar will be hosting his Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. Again, that's at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. From 10.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Mark Fishbein will be hosting his Planet Poetry 28. You can find out more information at poetwithguitar.com slash events. Again, that's at poetwithguitar.com forward slash events. On Sunday, August 29th from 6 30 p.m. British Time, Run Your Tongue will be hosting their spoken word open mic night. You can find out more information at Facebook.com forward slash events forward slash five seventy four twenty five six four one three three zero eight seven. Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their poetry event. You can find out more information at keepthemicon.com. Again, that's at keepthemicon.com. And now let us welcome our Poet Guest of the Week, Carmina Hirana. Hi, Carmina, thank you very much for coming onto to Poets and Muses. Hello,
1: Amazan, thank you for having me.
0: Of course. You brought with you your poem, Dizzy. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I'm of Lebanese origin, mm. and I have been living in Lebanon all my life until very recently.
0: Mm.
2: I've moved to Paris in August, and I'm currently living there. Mm. Like This is pretty much what the poem, Dizzy, is about, moving to Paris. Mm.
1: Yeah, and as far as poetry goes, I've been writing for a while. Mm-hmm. am going to close in on a decade soon, I think.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, pretty much just participating in the poetry scene in Lebanon since I was maybe 16 or 17, mm-hmm. and getting introduced to people there, and then participating in events. And the poetry scene in Lebanon really interesting because when I first joined it, it was really like maybe one event per month or every other month or even less sometimes, and people really trying their best to get something done. Mm -hmm. And now it's, I mean, barring COVID, it's just super vibrant and there's a lot happening. Yeah, so it was cool to be part of that kind of evolution that the scene had. And now, again, barring COVID, getting to discover the scene in Paris a little bit, which is also really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. In terms of your own poetry writing, can you tell us when you started writing poetry and how you started?
1: I'd always kind of been into writing in general, mm. or la- really reading and writing, like everything language related. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is a little story behind how I started writing poetry. Basically, when I was in school, I was like 11th grade or 12th grade, I can't remember for sure.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, basically, my English teacher, whom I really liked, mm. I told the class basically that uh, there was this sort of poetry competition between schools or something like that. Mm. And I wanted to participate, so I did. I wrote something. Mm. And I think the, the interesting thing was I was really happy with the thing I wrote. Mm. Uh, obviously, I can't look at it anymore. Oh, so my God. <laughs> 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 I was very happy with it. Mm. And I asked my teacher, and he read it, and he's like, okay, great, write another one. And I was confused at first, like, why would he ask me to write another one? Like, I thought it was good. And I guess it took me some time to get that. Yeah, I mean... It was what it was, but write another one anyway. Mm. And I wrote a bunch of other ones since then. Mm. And eventually, kind of by chance, ended up meeting people in the poetry community. So I started going to these workshops where we kind of had to write poems and talk about them and stuff. And that's how I got into free verse. Mm. Because at first, I had this idea that a poem has to rhyme and stuff. Right, right. yeah, free was kind of weird at first. I didn't really get how it, how it's a poem.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: And it's just, yeah, it's just random words. How how does that work? <laughs> yeah, but the first time someone told me to try not rhyming, I just kind of looked at them like they were crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. How the world goes. And yeah, since then I've participated in you know the scene in, mostly in Lebanon and a few poetry slams and kind of to it
0: and to the performing aspect of it as well, not just the writing. Right, right. Yeah, I, I remember when, when you read during the Sidewalk so Roots third anniversary, there were a lot of performative aspects of your poetry. And I was wondering if you are also doing performance work outside of poetry.
1: Actually, yeah, I'm currently doing theater, theater course. Ah. Basically, that's why I got to Paris in the first place, I wanted to do theater. Mm. Uh, originally my idea was, I actually was not sure what my idea was. I tried enrolling in university, I tried looking at courses, I tried looking at, you know, working in the theater. I just kind of wanted to get into the theater scene in Paris.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, obviously the situation like, it a bit difficult.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I am currently doing a course. Great. Really? It's centered around acting with some aspects of singing and choreography and improv and like everything to kind of build Mm. the skills for this kind of thing,
2: mm-hmm. and I'm very
1: much into performance art in general.
2: Mm. Like I've, I've,
1: like I've tried my hand at a bunch of things, including stand-up comedy and drag,
2: yeah. <laughs> so like
1: pretty much everything that involves being on a stage. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: And obviously I enjoy writing very much, but the performance aspect of it is possibly and even when I write, actually, I write with performance in mind, mm. and this is something I've developed with time, mm-hmm. so really trying to figure out while writing how this is going to translate vocally and uh, in regards to the movement and how, uh, how to occupy the stage and how to address the audience, et cetera. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is kind of interesting because open mics, you have a bit of space, but it's not a proper stage, so... It, and also people don't tend to go around the whatever stage area that they have or the temporary stage area they have, whereas improper stage um, performance, especially if it's a one person show, kind of need to, I guess, occupy the space differently and, and work the space differently, right?
1: I've gotten used to those smaller stages because that's pretty much what I've had to work with most of the time. Yeah. So it feels natural to me. Plus, there's a certain intimacy to it that you wouldn't get on a bigger stage.
2: Right. right. And
1: I get confused about how to move on the space. So
0: it's,
1: it's <laughs> like I the to space to worry
0: about. Yeah. So I guess now is a good time for you to read your poem for us and then we can talk about it.
1: All right. So it's called Lizzie, as you've mentioned the plane goes up, 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 then down. Pressure is on. You're dizzy. You wait till you find the crux of your lifetime that somehow fits in three Suitcases. The airport is a maze. You struggle to find your way out, your way home. Home? You're dizzy. Days go by. Documents to file for. Your quest seems infinite. Too much effort for paper, but you stick out your neck anyway, begging for a stamp on your forehead that proves you belong here. You're dizzy. You take the subway, wade through a sea of legs and arms and heads, I can't tell if the look in their eyes means ill intent or if they're all just weary. They're moving so fast, they know where they're going, you don't know where you're going. The hum of the escalators feels menacing, the screeching of the trains on the rails feels threatening, your face mask feels too tight, you can't breathe. You're dizzy. Reach the surface, panting, sweating, heaving, wondering why you're even here home. A word that stopped meaning there but doesn't mean here yet. You feel so much that you don't feel much at all. Just a knot in your throat and you're dizzy. All the time. Save for some seconds of solace. When a sign, or a face, or a smell, or a taste, a glimpse of the city that you've worked so hard to reach, makes the spinning of your thoughts come to a halt. In these moments when the world finally feels small enough to grasp you let yourself feel like you just might find your way. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I was wondering when you wrote this poem.
1: Okay. So actually, I have very recently gone to Paris. It had maybe been a week or so mm. at the time I wrote this. Mm. And it was for the well, Paris open mic. So I wanted to go to that. Mm. And as you said earlier, when I got here, they had events outdoors.
2: Right.
1: And they have a theme each week for their events. Mm-hmm. And the week was this week.
2: Mm.
1: And when I read the theme, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to say with it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I ended up writing it on the day of the event. Mm. So it was kind of like went out in Paris and sat somewhere and started writing, and I was actually very happy with myself because I wrote it, edited it,
0: memorized it, and performed it in the same few hours. That is, you should be proud, my god. I wish I could memorize anything that I write. (laughs) This is wonderful. Thank you. You mentioned that you had gotten to Paris in August. Was that after the Beirut explosion?
1: Yep. Uh, It was two weeks after.
0: Mm.
1: That wasn't what prompted me to leave, Mm. probably enough. I I actually had my plane ticket ready at that point. Mm. When it happened, I I was just taking some time off away
2: from home before heading back and packing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in Beirut
1: when it happened because I had been taking some time off away from home. Mm -hmm. I wasn't up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. A good 20 kilometers away from Beirut, actually. But Just to give you an idea of how big it was, I heard it (laughs) from where I was. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, and there were two. And the first one we thought was thunder, mm-hmm. which was very strange because it was very sunny that day. Mm-hmm. It was the 4th of August, but Lebanon is a very sunny country either way. Uh-huh. And, yes, yeah, so we were very surprised. And then when the second one happened, we knew it was not thunder, but we thought it was close to where we were
2: mm-hmm. because
1: of how loud we heard it. Right. And we didn't think it could have possibly been in Beirut. It was impossible. It was impossible that it could have been that far and that loud.
2: Mm.
1: And then I got a call from my dad, and my sister got a call from my dad. And yeah, we, we realized it had been in Beirut, and like everyone was there. And so, yeah, like, I was extremely fortunate that no one I know was severely affected by it. Mm. There was some material losses, but and all of it was fixed since then, but... No one was severely injured in my surroundings, thank goodness.
2: Yeah, that's good.
1: Uh, and it felt weird leaving after that. It felt extremely weird leaving. And leaving everyone behind after that. You're just kind of want to
0: everyone with <laughs> me. Yeah, I can imagine. I have wondered, since you also sent me a poem about the explosion itself, if the explosion also play a sort of a, a silent but present role in this particular poem. This one,
1: not directly, maybe silently. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about the poem you're mentioning—that's not the poem we're talking about now—but and about the the explosion related to my poetry writing. When it first happened, I couldn't express myself about it at all. Mm. For like sometimes I started stuttering. Uh, I had never stuttered before in my life, mm. and now I have a slight stutter
2: since the explosion. Oh,
1: wow. Like, it literally impacted my ability to express myself. Mm. And at the beginning, like, I, I, I drew something I, at some point. I painted something because I needed to let something out, and words weren't doing it. Right. And in this poem, I don't know. I think I was avoiding confronting how I felt about it for a very long time, Mm-hmm. and the other poem that you mentioned basically i wrote it it wasn't directly motivated by the explosion it was motivated by a fire that happened on the uh, on the, in the harbor sometime later like maybe a month later while i was here while i was in paris Okay. there was a fire in the harbor and uh i know my sister sent a video of it on my family's whatsapp group mm-hmm. and i didn't know what it was at first and i looked at it and and I was just terrified what's happening, and, and then, like I'm not there and what's happening, etc. And then I found out it was just a fire, but and that's the horrible thing I'm saying, just the fire. Like it was pretty bad, but it wasn't right. as bad as we could have imagined. Right. And that's what prompted me to write something because I realized that like it had such an impact that mm. I couldn't see it. Mm. And maybe yeah, and in uh, in Dizzy, like I do talk about feeling so much that I don't feel anything at all, and yeah, that's about immigrating, but it's also about, it's mainly about immigrating after that. Yeah. Because there's so many emotions that come with this, and some of them are positive, some of them, like, I'm happy to be here. Right. But can you Are you allowed to be happy to be here in the circumstances, you know?
0: Right, right. I mean, I imagine there's a sense of uh, kind of quote-unquote survivor's guilt, even though people in your social circles have...
1: uh, I mean, even that in its own sense causes some sort of survivor's guilt, because not only did I not get hurt, but I didn't get hurt emotionally
0: by having someone around me being injured or, God forbid, losing someone. Right, right. So, yeah, like, I was quote unquote lucky.
1: Yeah. Like, not only, not only, I, like, I survived, I'm fine, everyone around me is fine, and I left the country. Yeah. Like, I got the, the, at the risk of saying something horrible, but I won the explosion lottery. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you say you were only in Paris for like six days when you wrote this?
1: Yeah, just about. I think I got here on a Monday, and then I wrote it on a, on a Monday, so I think it was like seven days.
0: Well, tell us more about this poem and, and the some of the experiences that you describe and the feelings.
1: Yeah, so basically, yeah, there was kind of this dumbfoundedness or this disbelief about the whole situation. Mm. Uh, that's why I mentioned your whole lifetime sitting in three suitcases. Yeah. That was weird. <laughs> that was just really weird. Like, I was carrying with me everything. Mm. Like everything that I felt was worth carrying with me and I don't know, that had a lot more weight than just when you're traveling for a leisure and you have yourself with you that you feel like having to know this was everything I needed. With I don't know. It was so, it was weird. Mm. And then even getting to the airport, I, get, I
2: was saying the airport is a maze. The thing is, it, it was horrible because I had been to that. I was a child of It's a really big airport. Yeah. And I had been to that
1: airport before. But I had not been to the airport before during COVID. Mm. It was horrible because my friend, who I live with, came to pick me up and we couldn't reach each other because the parts that visitors could enter were different than the parts where people traveling could enter and we had to go through. It took about an hour from me getting my stuff to us grabbing a cab and going home. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was already exhausted emotionally and physically from everything and then just like, I can't go home yet, mm. and that's that idea of like I, I talked about home a few times in the poem as well. There was this whole "what is home?" right idea as well. Like it's not there anymore, but it's not here yet. and yeah. three months later, I can still say the same thing: it's not there anymore, but it's not here yet. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: So then, at the time, of course, but still, and yeah, something that's a bit better now is this whole. Like going transportation, not knowing where I'm going, feeling like everyone else knows where they're going and I don't. You know, I <laughs> feel like I've gone a, a bit too Parisian too quickly. <laughs> so, like now, I can actually take the metro without thinking too much. <laughs> it's mm. very strange.
0: Yeah, and and that's and pretty, that is amazing because they they do have a pretty complex and extensive metro network.
1: Yeah, I don't find it too complex. I mean, it is a bit, but even when I came here for leisure, I found it. I could deal with it, but I guess having the language and understanding everything that's, that's happening helps. Yeah. yeah, I remember going to Berlin once,
0: being utterly confused by everything. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, yeah. Berliners tend to speak English, so yeah. But
1: Berlin, everything was just in German. There was very little English. It was so confusing.
0: Yeah, yeah, the signs are all in, in German, but if you just like talk with anyone, especially the younger generation, they tend to be oh yeah, yeah. really fluent, <laughs> like comfortably fluent. Uh, I was saying a lot of people in Berlin aren't even German. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's like kind of similar to Paris, the cosmopolitan aspects of the thing. Wow. Uh, so you were already f- fluent in French before you moved. This is
1: actually my first language. Now.
0: Ah okay okay. I still haven't figured out which Lebanese people tend to speak French, which tend to speak English. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to figure it out because you know it's not like uniform by any means. I don't know
1: either, but I can give you a bit more information, at least. Oh please, yes. Yeah. Um, so one thing is that the school system in Lebanon is divided. I mean, every school would have Arabic as the first language, mm-hmm. but then your second language would either be French or English. And the third language would be the other one. And uh, the third language wouldn't be given much attention at all. So, for example, I was in a French-speaking school, Mm -hmm. and the English we learned was like, I don't know, the cup is on the table. Not much more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Until, like, I don't know, 10th grade or something.
0: Right. But your English is amazing. So I'm surprised to hear that. It sounds like you practice French as much as English, basically, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, the thing is that it's way easier to pick up English when you know French than the other way around. (laughs) That's the issue. French-speaking people would still be exposed to English everywhere. I mean, media, the internet, people, Mm. everything. Mm. So most people, I'm not going to say everyone, but most people who speak French fluently would also pick up on English. Whereas the other way around doesn't really work because if you speak English, you're only going to need English, you're not going to need to pick up French.
2: Mm. So
1: if your family has put you in a French school and then maybe they speak French. Because uh, in Beirut, like certain areas tend to speak more French and certain areas tend to speak more English. I don't know exactly why that happens.
2: Mm.
1: It depends on a bunch of factors. French used to be a much more important language in Lebanon since the country was under French mandate and uh, mm. that was the official language with Arabic. Right. Mm. Still, kind of is, but no one cares much anymore about it. And there's even like people who don't speak French would tease French speakers about it. Uh-huh. I don't. I never understood what's so funny about it. Like, oh yeah, you speak French. Like, yeah, I can't speak French,
0: but about it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I figure like the French colonialism has something to do with the French being spoken in the country. At the same time, I. Just thought it was much more of a blanket influence than anything, but I think I think it used to be. right, right. Because you know, like after the explosion, the French president was there, and cool, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, so there's still that very special, quote unquote, special relationship, and I thought it was really interesting that the people were appealing to Macomb more than. You know, like, asking, uh, at least on the news anyway, that they were appealing for Macan's help and the French uh, help. That's a desperation. That is desperation. Yeah. That's when your government is in the church, you're thinking
2: maybe the other government is going to be more. help. Yeah. Some yeah. people were calling for the French
0: Mandate to come back. Oh, wow. Oh, literally say, I'm not going to put you back on French Mandate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is extreme! Wow. Yeah, because the government level is complete. Like, no, if they were useless, that would be a good thing. They're, they're, they're so good at just
2: making everything worse. <laughs> God. And there doesn't feel like there's a way out of them. Mm. So it's just like, okay, bigger country with a bigger influence, they save us. hmm mm-hmm. Of course, it's
0: not. I mean, France. I mean, they're not gonna. Why would they? You know. <laughs> right. Right. I. I mean. I think colonialist route at some point became sort of unprofitable. So... (laughs) Yeah, that has to be
1: it. Otherwise, they would have said yes.
0: I mean, they they still retain a lot of the uh, relationship for, like, economic and geopolitical reasons, obviously. um. Yeah, they
1: have a lot of power over Lebanon. They even threatened the the Lebanese government at some point, but I don't know if anything... I don't think anything came out
2: of it. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, the, 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 the prime minister that was that stopped being the prime minister a year ago is prime minister again now, so who, who even knows at this point?
0: <laughs> yeah, Macron does say he was going to withhold aid, right? If they didn't clean up... Yeah, I don't, I don't know what was happening there. I just, like, when you get to a point
1: where the government of your country is refusing aid from other countries after a catastrophe, that is their fault. Um, <laughs> you don't really think much in any of anything anymore you you can't like your brain just stops because why would it continue in this in the circumstances right right
0: it's it's you're sort of wondering you're like now you have pride now you're refusing aid
1: it's not pride it's not pride it's just like i don't even know what it is like the theories at this point are pride spite, (laughs) or or possibly because cause at some point, for example, I think there was help from the Dutch, I want to say. I can't remember for sure.
2: Mm.
1: Like another, I'm pretty sure it was a European country, but I can't remember which one. Mm. And they had you know, the search dogs there at the harbor. Mm. And the people at the harbor were like, no, we're not letting the search dogs in. And the search dogs were to help find people who could have possibly still been alive. That was early on in the process. Oh, God. And they didn't let them in. And the only logical explanation for that is that there's something else in the harbor that they know about. But they would be completely okay with people dying for that. So yeah. when that happens, when your government does that, you don't know what to think anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is sort of a corruption at its highest form, right? It's like, you know, it's almost like they are just admitting to it now. I don't even think they care about hiding it. <laughs> Never have, but especially not now. Mm.
1: That's why we always have Lebanon. Yeah, like yeah, every country is fucked up, but usually countries tend to be fucked up behind closed doors, <laughs> not so
0: often. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's how that's how you the the line that you're talking about, not feeling home is home. Where is home? And this idea of kind of. yeah, I never, yeah, I never properly
1: felt at home in Lebanon anyway, but that's where I, that's where I lived all my life. <laughs>
0: right right it sounds like that's not a new feeling so i was wondering how come that is
1: oh yeah it's not a new feeling i don't feel at like home in lebanon because um for a lot of reasons mean, first of all obviously it's not a country where you feel you can ever get any stability mm. so i never felt like i could just you know settle there right. and i i mean personal reasons as well i always live with my parents because it's impossible to get a job and make friends by yourself mm. So I always lived with my parents, and and I didn't feel like it was possible for me to live my own life
2: Mm. in these
1: circumstances. And also, I don't know, like, the the cultural reasons as well, I guess. Like, one thing was, for example, like I said, French is my first language, Mm. and although I'm very, very comfortable with English, I'm slightly more comfortable with French.
2: Mm.
1: So, uh, for example, I wanted to do theater, and then the only options I had in Lebanon were to do to go to the Lebanese University and do it in Arabic, which I could not, like, absolutely, anyway, wasn't accepted, because I couldn't mm. do it, i have to do a talk in Arabic, and I couldn't do it, mm. I'm not comfortable with Arabic to do that, mm. so a bunch of cultural stuff as well didn't fit what I was looking for, which again is surprising, considering I had spent my whole life there,
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: so, yeah. yeah, that's about, I mean, for a bunch of reasons, it didn't necessarily feel like home, and... That only got worse as of October of last year when the protests started happening. Mm
2: -hmm. Everything started being more and
1: more exposed. Mm. But furthermore also, when I a few years earlier when
2: there were the elections for parliament Mm -hmm. and it was
1: the first time I could vote because voting age in Lebanon is 21, Mm. it meant nothing because the votes were rigged and then whatever. Like A bunch of crap happened around that. So it kept feeling like Whatever you do, it doesn't matter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and obviously there's some amazing initiatives happening in Lebanon because some individual people have the strength and the drive to do that. Like
2: For right. example,
1: you mentioned Sidewalk earlier. What my son has done with Sidewalk is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. In this kind of country that has zero support for culture, mm-hmm. uh, things you want to have this kind of open mic every week for three years now like that's amazing Mm. so yeah some individuals come up with some amazing initiatives and there's many more of course like I can't um, Mm. talk about all of them obviously so that's great but it got to a point where I was just thinking like I would like to live in a country where you don't have to do all that just to, to get anything done you know
0: right right well, I, I'm wondering since, you know, it's it's been three months, how do you feel now? Like, do you still feel that sense of urgency that's conveyed in, in Dizzy, that sense of being completely frazzled, or are you feeling better? Well, uh, it comes and goes, because mm. in some aspects,
1: yeah, I'm definitely feeling better. For example, I've built more of a social network since I got here, right. so it's actually, you know, knowing people and... Having this kind of support on an emotional level, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But I mentioned at some point, like in the in the Z, I mentioned administrative stuff, papers and all that. That's oh. gotten worse. Oh god. Because oh my god, the administration in this country. Like <laughs> I know it's ultimately it's good. Ultimately it has good results, but oh my god, I want to be done with it. It's horrible. Yeah. And yeah, I haven't yet managed to have a stable... I don't have a stable job yet, or I don't have anything that's that makes it feel that it's okay, I'm officially settled in, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: I still feel kind of on the razor's edge. Oh
0: my god, sorry. It's
1: fine, thank you, it's fine. I mean, it's normal.
0: Um, <laughs> it's not normal. That's not normal.
1: What's normal... It's normal when you are when you spend 25 years living with your parents and then you move out in the pandemic.
0: <laughs> oh, <there can> <laughs> <laughs> Not great timing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's and all the everybody is working remotely. Although, like Europe, it's better. Still, they're going back to shut down. And how long were you supposed to be in France?
1: Until further notice. Okay. I'm very lucky that I have a double nationality. Oh. I'm okay. I'm also Spanish,
0: so I'm an European citizen.
1: I can be here as long as I like.
0: Okay. Did you say you were also Spanish?
1: Yeah, I'm living in Spanish because my grandma on my mom's side was Spanish. I got the nationality. Ah, okay. Even though I've never really been to Spain and I barely
0: speak any Spanish. But. Right, right. I hope the papers will come through and that, you know, through this maze of just regular French bureaucracy and then on top of that, this extra helping of pandemic bureaucracy. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that. It'll become more stable for you because you. otherwise, I hope you're enjoying Paris the way that people are always imagining Paris, which is not really real. But still, I think you're still. You know, funny. Yeah. I think you're Sorry, still I in the, the awesome. honeymoon period yet. Hopefully. You
1: know, it's actually funny. The thing I say at the end of the Z. Mm-hmm. That sometimes a glimpse of something makes me feel like I could just for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I get these very small moments of, I don't know, like, just talking to someone or seeing a sign somewhere or you know, looking at a cool-looking tree or a bird or whatever, I don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or or being at an event or anything, and it, it does kind of feel like the stereotypical kind of Paris that you can see in the movies, mm-hmm. but it's and sometimes it doesn't at all, sometimes it's something weird, sometimes it's, I don't know, someone on the street saying something super random, and then, you know, with their day, I don't know, little things, mm. they really make it feel a bit more worth it, mm. like, it's fun to go through all of that, because sometimes these things happen, and it's worth it, mm-hmm. so yeah, to me, sometimes Paris looks a lot like a movie Paris, and sometimes it doesn't whatsoever, but... I like it, (laughs) either way.
0: Yeah, there, there's little bits of a, like, near Sacré-Cœur that's definitely, it's like, oh, postcard, Paris.
1: (laughs) Mm, This is actually super funny. I was recently, recently, on a date with a guy, Mm. and and we're kind of seeing each other at the moment. Mm. We were in Montmartre, and we went to the Mm Sacré-Cœur, and we were right outside, and he was telling me the story of the Sacré-Cœur, and why it's pretty messed up, Mm. not going to go I forgot the details, and also it's long, so feel free to look it up. And then we were kind of like sitting on the stairs there, that was before lockdown, obviously.
2: Mm.
1: And kind of, you know, cuddling up, and there were a bunch of other couples there. Mm. And it was nighttime, and you can see the lights of Paris in the distance. Mm. I just kind of stopped laughing at how cliché that
0: was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, that area. and. Also, there's, like, uh, Saint-Germain also has that feeling because it has the cobblestone and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it, it, those areas look so nice, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, that's why people keep going to those places. like, oh, here's a little bit of Paris that is like a postcard. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway, <laughs> so picking up on the sense of not feeling at home, anywhere, Uh is why I send you my poem. It's called Erasure. So I'm I'm going to read that and we can talk about it. Erasure. To them, I am white. My paleness fails to escape categorization. Across this pond, suddenly, I'm given elevation outgrowing the frame of the foreign immigrant back home where it must be the foreigner cast to tell stories of ancestors from exotic lands stuck on repeat on grooves cut at the base of the Himalayas and just as deadly when I attempt to scale to stand tall on my own two feet to escape mental barriers set more firmly than those peaks. Could you tell me
1: what, what was happening in your life that drove you to,
0: to write this form? Actually, I was on a trip. I was in Uganda. I went there to see some friends, and also I was hoping to interview poets there, which I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I did venture out, because I don't, I don't know if you know, the, the, like China has become like the colonialist power there. Uh, they apparently. Yeah, so they, they have apparently been investing in the country, but not with a pure heart of goat or anything, but with geopolitical aims in mind wow. since apparently the 60s, I found out. And Uganda has gone through a British hands and has, in a way, an unspoken caste system because of these uh, colonialist practices India also has some political poll there is a class of Indian Ugandans who went back after Idi Amin I think threw them out but they came back and and so there is a lot of racism just intersectional uh, prejudices all around so I'm I'm Asian American so the whole time, every any time I went out, basically people would would say like China, China, China. They would call me China, no matter what. Like, I think there was like one person, a stranger who, who crossed my path who said Japan, and I was like really happy about it because I was like, oh, a difference, <laughs> you know. But um, oh. yeah, but to them, I so I was talking with some locals about it, and and apparently we are categorized as white. Oh. Yeah, so, so it was really interesting, because I'm Asian American. In the U.S., I'm always seen as the, you know, foreign, no matter what. For an Asian Americans, they're always seen as the other. They couldn't possibly have roots in America, right? They can't possibly have been here for generations, even though history, American history, will tell you that there's been Asian Americans here for at least a couple of centuries. Yeah around that time so so you know if you do uh 25 years per generation that's like eight generations so no matter what there is a lot of othering so I never felt I haven't felt like at home in America because of this othering that people uh, when I go out it's not all the time obviously It, it also depends on where I am but there's are still a lot of people who ask, you know, like, where are you from? Oh no, where are you really from? Oh, I mean, your ancestors. <laughs> you know, like I'm supposed to give them my ancestry report, <laughs> like anytime I meet them. And so it was really frustrating. But uh, in Uganda, it was similar othering. At the same time, because I'm elevated to whiteness, there is this hierarchy, social hierarchy, and in some ways. I am pegged into a higher social hierarchy because of this, my paleness. Mm. So it was really, it was really interesting to see that dynamic because I haven't been in that situation before.
1: That definitely explains a lot about how you chose to express this within the poem. Actually, I wanted to ask you specifically about one paragraph back home where I must be the foreigner. I mean, just explain that, but cast to tell stories of ancestors from exotic lands. Actually, more specifically, sorry, I meant the paragraph after it. Mm. Like, I'm curious about why you chose to express it that way, stuck on repeat on Bruce Cut at the base of the Himalayas, and just as deadly when I attempt to scale. I'm curious what drove you to choose to express it in that manner.
0: I, I guess partly because I've been to the base of Himalayas, even though it's not as related to my... Ancestral land, I would say, but but still, like that is the most well-known mountain in Asia, I think. It could be wrong. Yeah, Yeah, and and there's a lot of people who try to scale it, and most people whom we often don't hear about die uh, in the process. So there is a sense of danger to it. It's famous and it's dangerous. And so I wanted to give people a sense of what it feels like to kind of overcome this prejudice of, you know, me being seen as a foreigner, whether I am at my home in America, uh, or quote unquote, home in America, or in Uganda, but especially at home, this feeling, whenever I'm being asked over and over again, where my parents are from where my ancestors are from, it just always pegs me as not part of American culture, not part of the American narrative. And so, I, I wanted to give people an idea how incredibly ingrained that is.
1: Yeah. On that note, actually, in the last two lines, escape mental barriers more firmly than those weeks. Of course, there's the mental barriers of others that perceive you as other. But do you think that this kind of perception from others that if I understand correctly, has been happening pretty much your whole life, has given you some sort of mental image of yourself that you have to fight or that you have to be conscious of, in a sense?
0: I think it makes me kind of feel like I need always to be a little bit wary. There is always a little bit of a, a, a light armor that I am put myself under so that I don't feel hurt when people say it, you have to learn to sort of roughen your skin a little bit. (laughs) And, And so you're not reacting always like, Oh, my god, that's so painful. Because some, some people, though, it's not always done on purpose, but some people would do it just to make you feel bad. So and I kind of felt that in your poem, but I wasn't sure, especially after we talked about it, if that sort of armoring was the kind of feeling that you had in Dizzy, especially when you were describing being on the metro. It is, to an extent,
1: similar. Yeah, a kind of being wary of the outside world.
2: Mm. Except
1: it was there in Lebanon as well. It wasn't just. It's not just here. Oh. In mean, here, it's caused by being in a new place and being. But that's, the, the interesting thing is, I have the. Kind of like the opposite situation as you have.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: pass for I pass as
2: white. Mm-hmm. I'm Arab, but I'm pale skin and
1: I look, quote unquote, eccentric. Like I have weird colored hair and kind of makeup and office and whatever. So mm-hmm. people and, and my first name doesn't sound Arab at all, and it's not. Mm-hmm. So I don't give the impression of being other. Mm-hmm. Like I fit in just fine. Like sometimes it's weird. It's, it feels like I shouldn't. Be allowed to fit in this well when others don't. You know what I mean?
2: Right. right. And
1: sometimes people here who are Arab or black or of another ethnicity would not be seen or treated as well as I am, even though I am also Arab. Right.
0: Right.
2: So
1: it's just—it's so difficult to grasp how something like the color of your skin and your features can be can so strongly define how people treat you yeah and yeah i definitely it's super interesting the way you put it in your poem like how it's an otherness both in uganda and in america
0: but the results of that otherness are completely different yeah yeah i wonder because you have said that you pa- you can pass as white in france that you felt like similar to me the othering when you grew up in lebanon
1: happened that people thought I was actually a foreigner,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially if someone would come up to me and we'd speak English, mm-hmm. they would assume I don't speak Arabic, mm-hmm. so that would especially happen if I was in an environment with people who are foreign,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I would just be, people would just think I am as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it wasn't too frequent. Right. It wasn't necessarily something that happened all the time, or it definitely didn't hurt, but... Yeah, maybe it's contributed to me, maybe feeling, quote unquote, different, Mm -hmm. and not feeling necessarily at home. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, I never really thought about it that way, but it could have, but I don't think it's the only thing.
2: Right,
1: I think maybe I tended to westernize myself a
2: Mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, exposure to to that culture and certain tastes, I don't, I don't, like, my cultural tastes... Are very
2: western,
1: Uh and the the kind of things I'm exposed to tend to be very western. Mm -hmm. So I don't identify with their culture very much.
2: Mm.
1: It's not necessarily about the appearance. Right. Yeah. Would you consider going living elsewhere to somehow evade this otherness?
0: Well that's just it. I would not be able to because it's it's in my facial features. I can't I can't get away from it. You know, I can't pass for white. Even if I was living in a predominantly Asian country, I mean, I think facially I would pass for but as soon as I start talking, as soon as I start doing what I do, I think they would recognize me for being a foreigner because I'm very American in the well to other people's minds i'm very very american in the way that i act i think i think it's just my personality <laughs> lends itself to this sense of Amer- americanness the very like straightforward gung-ho kind of uh, individualistic independent kind of way of that but that's just me <laughs> like me being me i have tried to live elsewhere not necessarily because of to get away from this otherness, which I think is, until we change people's mind, it's really difficult to get away from. Yeah. I just enjoy living in different cultures and seeing how people act because of their upbringing through different cultures. So I have I have lived in other places, and I wouldn't mind going to live in other countries again because I think I think it brings uh, about a different. It opens your mind. To, yeah. to different perspectives. So,
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that. The person I am here is different from the person I w- was in Lebanon. Mm. And this happened through coming here. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I agree that it's really interesting to explore different cultures and more specifically explore how people are in these cultures. Right. Um, yeah, I guess it helps to bring... I hate saying an open mind because this way of speech tends to be used a bit too broadly sometimes. Mm. But uh, yeah, it does open up your perspective to the difference. Yeah. I guess that's interesting. I guess that's interesting thing. Like if you see, like if we could realize, if everyone could realize the difference between all individuals everywhere and all cultures. And the difference of the one individual wouldn't mean that
0: much anymore yeah yeah that's the irony isn't it if we realize that if we realize the heterogeneity of people just culturally speaking it's it's always interesting because I find that you know whenever I encounter prejudice it's people just sort of fail to realize how they may differ even from people within their own cultural groups, right? They, they, people always assign the reason as, they assign the simplest and the most simplistic reasons and the wrong reasons, which is, oh, because, oh, they're a different gender from me, or they're from a different culture, you know, they're from a different race as me. Ethnicity, like all, all of the, or religion, all of these things, and it's not because of that. It could just be individual differences, you
1: know. Yeah, like you can feel very similar to someone who is of a different ethnicity and different gender and different uh, religion, etc., mm-hmm. and very different from someone who's exactly the same as you in those aspects. Y-
0: yeah, yeah. That's why a lot of of us do not necessarily feel home out like the cultures where we grow up in because that doesn't work as well for our personalities um, yeah
1: exactly.
0: yeah so i i always find that interesting because i think just people tend to it's not necessarily laziness as more the are we just have very limited capacity to understand and also limited attention span we don't have time to and we don't invest the time to really investigate yeah, so. um, yeah. definitely other priorities as well like
1: if our priority were to broaden our horizons and understand things then it's doable yeah yeah and i guess for for a lot of us it seems like well i'm happy enough in my bubble so why would i look
0: elsewhere right right well and oftentimes i find the people who are looking elsewhere is because they weren't comfortable in their own bubble it's like we're forced to go and look for our kindreds in other cultures and other places and that's an interesting aspect and i wish there was some more in between there was more of a two-way street i mean that that you could be happy with both yeah
1: i i I wish so as well but i don't see how that would
0: be yeah that's that's the thing yeah because i i feel like a lot of us whether or not we admit to it we only make changes when we're forced to make them
1: yeah yeah you're right yeah it's it's a hard thing to think of because you just go and ponder it all the things that you could be changing but comfortable not to. I mean, it's are comfortable
0: to do so, I mean. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why that saying, you know, no pain, no gain kind of thing saying. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, because I've been thinking about why why does it have to hurt, right? Why does growth have to hurt so much? And I'm like, oh, it's because we refuse to change when it's easier to change. We do, we
1: completely do. I read this comic thing online and some time ago about how there's part of our brain that hangs on to our convictions Mm. and it makes it seem like whenever something else is presented to us, there's reactions in our brain that are similar to if there was a legitimate
2: threat Mm -hmm. and that's why it's so hard to accept
1: opinions that we're not used to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially when people are telling you something. So the, the best way to challenge people's mindset is more to ask them questions that make them think about what they're going through. Because if they come up with the the answers, then they're much more likely to change their minds.
1: Yeah, that
0: seems like it would work better, yeah. So just to conclude, I was wondering if you have any virtual poetry events you would recommend and also... uh, How do people, the listeners, uh, follow you? What are your social media website links?
1: As far as poetry events go, the the two I would recommend are two that we had mentioned
2: during Mm. our
1: talk: so the Sidewalk Beirut event and the uh, the Paris uh, Open Mic event. So you know my two little poetry homes.
0: Right. And so how, how should people follow you online?
1: That's the thing. I don't really have a platform for my poetry.
0: Mm. So... What about just in I guess, general?
1: In general, I could do Instagram, because I post drawings on there. I could maybe post some poetry at some point. Okay. So mm-hmm. Instagram works. Okay, so it's... I wouldn't even know how to pronounce my Instagram name, which is fun. <laughs> it's E A L A N T A I R. which is a username i have on many platforms because i was doing a username for the game runescape and i looked for celtic Gaelic word for artist yeah that was like i don't know a bunch of years ago okay and since then and again i still don't know how to pronounce it but it's as i have spelled it okay (laughs) cool well
0: thank you very much for taking the time to Talk with me on Poets and Muses.
1: Thank you very, very much for having me on
0: Poets and Muses. Yeah, Thanks. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can now listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.